Who are they? How did they get here? And where are they now? I'm Tyson Chastain, Director of Alumni Relations with Johnson University, and this is the Sojourner Podcast. The Sojourner Podcast is a production of the Alumni Relations Office at Johnson University and is brought to you by the Alumni Association. Whether you graduated from Central Florida Bible College, Johnson Bible College, Florida Christian College, or Johnson University, you are a part of the alumni family. Join the Alumni Association and help encourage and equip alumni and students as they pursue kingdom-focused vocations. Learn more at johnsonu.edu forward slash alumni. Today, we're joined in the Sojourner podcast by Patrick and Kristen Rieke. Patrick and Kristen are graduates from the year of 2000, which happens to be my graduating class as well. So I'm really glad to get you two in on the podcast. Patrick and Kristen, welcome to the Sojourner podcast. Thanks for having us. To get started, would you mind giving just a real quick introduction of yourselves to those in the audience who do not know Patrick and Kristen Rieke? Sure, Kristen can probably tell better, but I'll give a stab at it first. So we, like you said, Tyson graduated in 2000. Um, seems like a very long time ago now, but uh, it was just a special time for us. Chris and I both came from Indiana to Johnson, uh, Tennessee, met there, became friends pretty quickly, and God really, we really both just knew God had led us to Johnson. It was um, one of those divine moments for each of us separately. We didn't know each other before coming to Johnson. And then the way that God just put our paths together while we were at Johnson was really significant. So um, we can get into that more, but met and married there. We've been married now for 23 years. I better get that right. We're on official recording here. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> and, and Kristen's listening in, so she'll be checking my math, I'm sure. But uh, um, yeah, we've got four kids that are getting into adulthood now. They're all teenagers, and we've worked in a variety of churches and ministries over the years. Uh, right now, I serve at uh, Parkview Health as the Director for Dignity and Spiritual Care, Chairperson for the Ethics Committee. Uh, Chris and I have done a lot of work with like bereavement, uh, grief, supporting families, um, both on the church side and now in the hospital side. So that's where we are today. Cool. And Kristen, you have anything to add to it? Um, you may have mentioned, but we are in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So the northeast corner of the state, we did we uh, made a few little Johnson to Kentucky and Ohio for education and ministry, but real brief, but we're in Fort Wayne. Okay, perfect. So four teens, boys, girls. Yeah, well, we are the proud parents of three teenage boys and one teenage girl. So three boys, one girl. We do have one son in heaven, and that's a big part of our journey um, that we can talk more about, but uh we have two in college now, and one that's a senior in high school, and then an eighth grader. And so we are uh, kind of at the tail end of our uh, parenting little one's journey, uh, but it's been an adventure. It's been a ride, and we've really enjoyed it. We have learned from the experience of others when they say to you as the you know young youth minister, first fresh out of college having babies, and they're like, you know, at the senior graduation nights and things, they'll say to you, uh, enjoy every minute because it goes so fast. And I'm looking at my shoes and I'm like, I don't even have the same two shoes on today. Like there's, <laughs> I'm trying to enjoy it, but it's tough. Um, you know, we really did take that to heart though, um, because it does go that fast. We really tried to enjoy every moment. That's great. Well, to get into the bulk of the podcast, then 
Uh, I'd like you to tell the audience a little bit about your upbringing. Were you raised in Christian homes? Where were you raised? You know, what was what was the early faith journey like for you? You know, that's such an important part of our story because it's really the piece that brought us together into friendship at Johnson. So, mm. Patrick, I'll let you go ahead and, and say what you were doing when we first really connected. Yeah, so um, both Chris and I actually grew up Catholic in two cities in Indiana, about three mi- or three hours apart from each other. So we didn't know each other at all growing up. Had some pretty similar experiences um, being involved in the Catholic Church, big families, um, you know, intact family units. It just had very similar upbringings uh, for Kristen when she was a little younger, and she can tell her own story. But when she was a little younger, she came to a real faith in Christ, and for me, it was sort of last minute as I was getting ready to be become an adult, came to Christ the very end of my senior year of high school and, and just really uh, had thoughts of what I was going to do for college and what I was going to do afterwards. I look back now and think, boy, that would not have worked worked out at all. I thought I was going to go to, to IU at Indiana University and do music. And now I, I'm kind of like, I realized I wasn't actually very good at music. So that probably wouldn't <laughs> worked out very well. Um, but I also didn't really have a faith in Christ yet at that point until the end of my senior year and came to Christ in a very uh, dynamic way where um, was sort of running away from everything in life. And God sent a person, a stranger um, into my life, even though I'd been attending a Christian church, Church of Christ, and God had been building my faith over time. The real moment for me was meeting um, an elderly gentleman on a walk one day. He came out to me and um, I was pretty despondent. I didn't know where my life was going, what I was supposed to do with my life. And he came out and struck up a conversation with me that I did not have any interest in whatsoever. Um, But he uh, started to talk to me. He was happy. He was uh, like a jolly old man. He was wearing suspenders, had a white beard, you know what I mean? Almost had that that uh, Jesus, he's Santa Claus sort of feel to him, you know? And, and here I was, the original emo 17-year-old teen, not knowing what my what was going on with my life. We were a weird combination. Um, and, and he struck up a conversation with me. He shared his faith with me. He probably thought, this is, no, this is not going to work out with this young man for me to share my faith with this guy, but gave it a shot anyway. And um, really, that was the day that Christ captured my heart. Um, that was, again, just the end of my senior year. My youth minister then really picked up that baton and, and ran with it because um, I'd started to attend a Christian church, Church of Christ, in addition to the, the Catholic church up here. So I was doing both. And then um, my youth minister at the time actually took me on a tour of uh, the Bible colleges that he wanted me to see. So he was a he was a Cincinnati grad. So, of course, that's where we went first and enjoyed that quite a bit. Stopped by KCU um, in Grace in Kentucky on the way down and then reached the promised land um, of, <laughs> of uh, Knoxville, Tennessee and Johnson University. And, mm-hmm. and I say that tongue in cheek only slightly because uh, Chris and I both had similar experience, those separate experiences. The moment that um, my youth pastor and a friend and I pulled onto campus and we're driving through the the winding drive coming up to the main part of campus, I just knew. I knew that was where I was supposed to be. I can't say that I've had a lot of experiences like that in life, you know, where you just, I'm not an esoteric person. I don't have visions from God and hear voices of God, but that was one of those times where it's just like, this is where you're supposed to be. And the interesting thing about that, that some of that is and the way that it went together with Krista and I was we started to attend uh, the small group chapel, uh, our religious neighbors. Actually, I guess I started to attend it first. And I was asked to do a, a talk on 
Catholicism because I grew up Catholic and had a lot of that experience. So I only knew one other Johnson student, a traditional Johnson student who had been raised Catholic too, and that was Kristen Hinkle. And uh, she was really popular. And so I wasn't sure if she would really answer the phone when I called <laughs> because she was friends with, you know, Chris Vandalin and all those cool kids. Um, and yeah, she did. She answered the phone. Um, we talked about our Catholic upbringing for about 10 or 15 minutes, but we were on the phone for, I think, about five hours even after that. And it's one of those, you're in the dorm. And this is, of course, in the days where the phone is physically attached to the wall with a long curly um, cord that connects it. And you can only get so far away from all of your friends. And so, you know, I've got all my friends on on the uh, dorm wing walking by like, who are you talking to? Why are you talking to Kristen Hinkle for all this time? What is going on? And that was really the beginning of like, almost like I said, okay, finally, they got these two on the right track, you know, and, and talking to each other. And yeah, it wasn't, wasn't long after that things started to, to develop between the two of us. It took me a little longer to figure out that that was really what Pat was doing than it did for Kristen. She knew before I did. It wouldn't be the last time she was waiting on me to uh, figure <laughs> out what God was doing in our lives. But really, it's one of those things when you're in the middle of it, you can't really see mm. how is this all coming together? How is this all connected from my past to my present to my future? And then you get, you know, two and a half more decades down the road and you look back and you're like, oh, yeah, this was how God was weaving mm-hmm. all these things together in my life, my faith, Kristen's life, her faith, our families, Johnson and our future. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Kristen, before I get your piece of this, uh, I want to I want to ask Patrick a couple of follow up questions. Uh, sure. So, Patrick, what town were you raised in that you were going to the Catholic Church and then what made you start going to the Christian Church? Yeah, so I was actually raised in Fort Wayne. Um, So where where we live now is where I grew up. And we were very involved in the Catholic Church. We weren't nominal Catholics at all. My dad, when I was in third grade, started working at our local Catholic Church as like a business and property manager. So we were there all the time, very involved, Mm -hmm. um, a part of serving poor families through the church, you know, that sort of thing. Very, very connected. And then there was a, a young lady that I dated in, for a little while in high school, and she was a part of the Christian church, Church of Christ. And she told me that, you know, if we were going to date, then I needed to attend church with her. And so I put my hands on my hips and said, well, then you're going to have to attend church with me. And so we, we went back and forth where we would go to Mass, and then we'd go over to the independent Christian church service. So while we were attending both services, God just started to work in my heart, you know, to understand this isn't just a... I check the box, show up to church, you know, yes, I have these certain beliefs, A, B, and C, but to really start to get in a heart level for me. Mm. Um, and that relationship ended, but the relationship that had begun for me with a different expression of church and then with understanding who God was, that relationship was just getting started. Mm. So what Christian church was it? I was, so it's Christ Church at Georgetown. Oh, yeah. And, okay. um, then we actually, a piece of that story is, I was the first one from Christchurch uh, here in Fort Wayne that had gone to Johnson in many years, and um, God just sort of opened that as a floodgate. The next year, I think there was three students. The year after that, there was five. At one point, I think we had 12 or 13 students from our local congregation that were there, and some of them were a direct, direct connect. They were my friends and you know younger than me, and they came down, and others weren't a really a direct connect at all, and it was just, you know... God moving at that point in time um, to bring bring some of us from from the frigid north down to the, the foothills. 
So I'm, I'm going to ask you one, one more question, Kristen, then I'm going to come over to you and get your piece of the story. So Patrick, when you started putting more into the Christian church, how did your family respond to that sort of shift? <laughs> um, you know, my, my family didn't have any problem with me attending the other church at all, really. I don't think because I was, I was still going to mass and still participating there. Mm. One of my greatest decisions and greatest mistakes came the same morning. And that was the morning where I knew Christ had stirred in my heart. It was time for me to, to make a decision and to, to follow Christ. Um, and so I'd watch people, other people be baptized and, you know, come down at, at uh, the end of the service on, on Sunday morning and, you know, go back into the baptismal room, change, be baptized. I'd been learning about that. My pastor had been teaching me about baptism and I knew it was the right time for me. The coaching that I missed that I wished I would have received and I wish I would have received and then actually acted on was to involve my family in that decision, even though they were a little bit of a different variation of Christian faith. Because I came home, you know, high as a kite. I'd just been baptized. All these people slapped me on the back, giving me hugs, you know, setting, setting me up for uh, the future. And I came home and told my parents, my very Catholic, older, um, traditional parents, guess what? I just got baptized today. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, you know, this is obviously something everyone should be excited about. Well, my parents heard it in a different light. You know, they heard it as our son who we love is departing from what we believe uh, what's important to us, the community that, that we've developed over the years. That really started a bit of a rift between my parents and I that would not be complete, but it would be, you know, somewhat of a separation for years to come. During those years, I blame that on my parents not understanding my faith. Mm. Um, now I now I look back and realize if I was a youth pastor with and I had these opportunities later in youth ministry to coach those kids to say let's let's get your parents involved. Hey, before we rush up here, yeah, I understand you're 17, you're almost an adult. Before we rush up here and do your baptism, let's call mom, you know, and and see if they'll come over, um, see if we can do this together as a family because that family. Really, no matter what the, the dynamic of the family is, that family is going to be the permanent part of that person's story in some regard going forward. Church, sometimes that individual one church and that individual one pastor sometimes is a permanent part of the story going forward, but not very often. Um, mm. is, that a, is that a decades-long relationship? So I would say overall they, they weren't thrilled with me departing from what was important to them, and it still is important to them. They're still participate in daily mass are 85 years old. Both my parents are still living, married to each other. It's still very important to them. I'm pretty sure mom's still praying that I'll enter the priesthood at you know, some point in time. <laughs> so, um, I, before I joke about it, I should be careful because God probably listens to sweet old ladies like my mom better than he listens to people like me. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so there was some disappointment there. Fortunately, God helped me to mature over the next several years to where I could come back and apologize for not involving them in that. And now we have a very good relationship. Good, good. Okay, Kristen. So uh, I want to get your take on this, this whole thing. Tell me about where you were raised, what your journey was in faith. And uh, as Patrick did, you know, how you came to Johnson and ultimately connected. Sure. So I'm from Seymour, Indiana, and it's a small town. And a lot of people recognize it as the small town, um, which John Cougar Mellencamp sings about. Um, that is the small town I'm from, and I was born and raised there. 
Interestingly enough, uh, I was just listening to some lyrics of that particular song this week, and it said, I was taught to fear Jesus in a small town, and that's my story. Mm. (laughs) I was a part of the Catholic Church there. My parents got married when my dad was raised Catholic and my mom Baptist, and back in those days, that was kind of a clash of uh, (laughs) clash of clans there, Mm -hmm. and uh, they decided that they would raise their family within the con- context of the Catholic church. And then as they got older, um, they could make decisions for themselves. And so I grew up in a Catholic church and home, practicing Catholic and school. And so my faith journey honestly began as a young elementary school student. Um, we had some nuns that came and gave a presentation. I remember specifically where I was sitting in the library, watching the little slideshow of children in Africa. And I remember sitting in that seat and I told God, if you want me to go and love those children, I will do it. Hmm. And that was the start. I ended up at Johnson on the missions program. So it definitely came full circle. I, however, ended up not leaving, but doing very similar to Patrick, participating both in mass and at a local non-denominational church called Cornerstone Community Church where actually a young homeschool um, seventh grade girl who had never been in public school invited me to her youth group. And I had never been to a youth group. My Catholic church, my congregation there had never really done anything like that. We had religious education, but not youth group experience. And so this was in the 90s and youth group was a big deal being with Mm -hmm. your peers. And so that was the first time that I experienced that. I very vividly remember the first time that I went to a youth group experience where there was a worship band and people were freely worshiping hands in the air and clapping and things. And I very clearly remember getting into the car after that night was over. And my mom was like, how did it go? And I laughed and I was like, that was super weird. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, just my, just the newness of all that to me, but it was so a part of what I was longing for, and I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. And so I was heavily involved in parachurch organizations like Youth for Christ, um, involved in, in leadership in organizations within my school, and then my church, both the Catholic Church and the Evangelical Church that I was a part of all through high school, um, found out that there were several Christian churches in my county, um, Reddington Christian Church and uh, Seymour Christian Church. There were just a number of them, and a lot of kids that I knew were connected to Johnson, some of them through the camp teams that came to the local camp in the summer. And so my, well, let me back up just a little bit as far as my um, story to be baptized. I was baptized as an infant. And when at the age of 14 that I wanted to commit my life to Christ and I was ready to make that step, I asked my parents for their blessing. And my dad's response was, well, you've already been baptized and that's good enough. God knows your heart. And the people that I was leaning on for leadership and guidance at that time said, you know, God's not going to go against his word. And he tells you to honor your mother and father. And so they encouraged me to do that. And so I did that. God knew, I mean, at that point, I was very involved and walking with the spirit and growing in my faith daily. And so I I remember telling God, like, I want to do this, but my dad says I can't. So you're going to have to change his mind. Um, it took a couple of years, but the summer before my senior year of high school, I went to Tennessee with my youth group as a junior counselor for the middle school week. 
And the last night of camp, they um, offered baptism. And I just, I told my youth minister, I said, I think I want to do this now. And he said, well, you better call and ask your parents. (laughs) So um, I called and I can never tell this story without tears, but my dad died recently. And so Mm. he's getting to do things that I can't wait to do. (laughs) Um, I called and my dad, I got both my parents on the phone, one upstairs, one downstairs. (laughs) And um, I asked for permission. And my dad said, I never want to stand in the way of your relationship with Jesus. Mm. And if this is what you think he wants you to do, then you have my full blessing. And um, I look back now on that moment and recognize that for my dad, who was raised Catholic as well, and who died as a practicing Catholic, that was also a a watershed moment for him Mm. of obedience. And it changed him as a dad and as a person. And so I see now that my obedience to wait and to um, honor him um, was greatly blessed. And um, the fruit of that continues still today. And so I was baptized at in a swimming pool at a camp in Tennessee. I don't even remember where it was at, but that was the summer before my senior year in high school. And I, unlike Patrick, knew exactly what I wanted to do, but not where I wanted to be. And so I visited probably 17 different um, I mean, you name it, I, I visited, uh, you know, I, it, Indiana Wesleyan, Owensboro. I mean, I just went to every liberal arts and Bible college that I could go to and just kept telling God, um, you need to show me where I need to be. Like, you're going to write it on a wall. And if you mm-hmm. really want to write it on the wall, I'd appreciate that <laughs> <laughs> um, because obedience was something that I wanted to just wanted to have. I just wanted to be where he wanted me. And as Patrick shared, Literally the moment that I drove onto Johnson's campus, I knew I was home. I called my mom and I said, hey, we just made it to Johnson Bible College in Knoxville because I was with some friends. We went on kind of a visiting tour and I'm home. I won't move here until the fall, but I'm home. (laughs) (laughs) She she was pretty sad about that. Um, It's five hours away and I am um, the second oldest of seven kids and the first one to go away to college Mm. um, that far. So they were super excited for me. They brought me down to college in the fall and it was a wild ride after that. Um, a whirlwind. I never really moved back home. Um, I worked at Smoky Mountain Christian camp after my freshman year of Johnson. And then our sophomore year, we did a summer overseas mission trip. And in the middle of our junior year, we were married. So when I left that small town in the summer of 96, I really never, never returned. Until a little later when Patrick and I found ourselves there (laughs) by surprise. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, that's my story. (laughs) That's great. I love it. Okay, so uh, tell me, Kristen, your side of this, Patrick's got to do a presentation and he's dragging you in on it and how that (laughs) developed your relationship here. Yeah, that was fun. Um, (laughs) uh, You know, interestingly enough, I had a similar experience that night in the dorm. Well, my roommate was dating someone seriously who is now her husband, and he kept trying to call and couldn't get through. (laughs) We later found out. Um, But I had several friends that were coming down and they're like, who are you talking to? What is going on? And uh, Jenny Klepper at the time, a couple other girls in my uh, small group. And 
I mean, I could talk to anybody for hours on end. It was nothing new for me, but to learn about, you know, Patrick's past and his, something that always really impressed me about Patrick is he's such a learner. Mm -hmm. Um, He honestly wanted to communicate so well to people um, that he was going to use all of his resources. And I happened to to be, um, like he said, the only other traditional Catholic student on campus. And so the, the one thing that pulled us together initially was it really is interwoven into both of our stories from childhood on even till today. And, uh, you know, it, it is, again, like he mentioned, beautiful to watch how those things happen. And sometimes you don't see it so many years later, but um, yeah, our Catholic heritage was a big part of that. And moving forward, even, you know, we had intended to do uh, missions work in Southern Spain um, which, of course, Spain is the mecca of Catholicism um, in Europe. And so it's it's not by accident, right? I mean, God uh, intends the places that we live and the times that we live there so that some may come to know him. And, um, you know, that's how that worked for us, for sure. And that conversation was long, but it was the first of many, many, many long conversations. <laughs> so I was playing volleyball that semester and that was a busy, it was a busy time. So falling in love was not my, my uh, intention, <laughs> uh, but God had other plans. So <laughs> <laughs> that's just really neat how, uh, you know, how God uses the backstory to, you know, to bring you together in this moment. And it's, it's just really neat. So tell me about your, then your experience at Johnson individually as a couple from a, a social perspective, a spiritual perspective, and an academic perspective. What are, what are the things that struck you and what you experienced here mm-hmm. as a student at Johnson? Yeah, so for me, the social aspect was, it felt like the passage, I believe it's in Hebrews, it talks about the, uh, the cloud of great witnesses. I mean, it was just so incredible for me to be interacting with so many people who seemed to want some of the same things in life that I wanted. And that was really just to bring the kingdom, to move it forward and to serve and to love. Um, and that was just really my heart. And so to be um, with so many people that were on that same path was incredible for me. Socially, I jumped into all the clubs and all the things that I could do, ended up being involved as a freshman with the admissions office for recruiting um, in Indiana and loved that, Uh, enjoyed very much being a part of student council and just all the things, you know, uh, my high school is, it was pretty small. And so it wasn't a big jump for me to go from there to Johnson. Um, I also involved myself very heavily in um, mentoring other students, especially um, as I got into sophomore year and that kind of thing. I had so many fun um, opportunities and, uh, you know, we were in the dorm that still had suites. And so it was like a slumber party every night. (laughs) So so, um, I had a great time socially, um, academically, being raised Catholic for me, my experience, even in a school, we again, we had religious education, but very seldom were we handed a Bible to open on our own. Mm. It was very much a curriculum based type thing um, all the way through for me. And so going to a school where I was able to have an entire class on the book of Luke or 
the new, t- I mean, I was a sponge. I was soaking it up. I was asking all the questions. I was surrounded by people who, many of them who had been raised in the Christian church their entire lives knew all the stories and probably thought, oh my gosh, what is, <laughs> you know, I remember in uh, high school youth group when at one point, um, the small group leader asked us all to share our favorite Bible verse, and I shared mine out of the book of Sirach, which is in the Apocrypha. Uh-huh. Um, it's a part of the Catholic Bible, but not a part of anybody else's. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, she was gracious enough to let me know that afterwards when no one else was around. <laughs> um, but that was that had been my experience, you know? And so um, I was just a sponge. I soaked it all up. And the other piece that you always hear about Johnson University is how the professors invest and the students, they invite them into their homes. They become our mentors, our friends, our leaders, really spiritual guides, if you will. Um, even literally last week, Patrick and I were talking about Van Tyson. You may remember when Doc Reese spoke to us at our senior retreat and was talking about how it can be lonely at the top of leadership and how it's important to surround yourself with people that love Jesus and love you. And um, we were literally just talking about that last week. And so Um, those connections with the academics and those who were guiding those academic classes were such a gift. Okay. Give me one professor. Oh my gosh. Uh, Norm Dungan. (laughs) (laughs) Of course you were a missions person. So that's right. Oh gosh. Uh, So many, I just, you know, I did some youth ministry classes as well. So Wheeler was a big part of my entertainment. Linda Smith. Patrick and I were in our very first Ched 1010 class together with Linda Smith. And <laughs> as a young woman, seeing a woman in, in ministry leadership, that mm. was critical. That was mm. so important to me to see that. Um, and her energy and, and her infusive love of Jesus and what she was doing. Mm. Oh, gosh. Monumental. Just absolutely life-changing for me. That's great. Patrick, your turn. Uh, give me give me this uh, experience at Johnson from a social and spiritual and academic perspective. Yeah, you know, I, what comes to mind for me of my with my academic experience at Johnson was kind of Buddhist talk about the beginner's mind and, and just not and sort of having an, an empty, um, ready to be formed mind. And for me, I I knew nothing about the independent church. I knew nothing about the restoration movement. I knew nothing about really studying the Bible at all. And so everything, it was like, it was almost like going to another country and trying to learn the language as you're trying to establish a life there. Cause I, I just had no frame of reference and I had a, you know, a frame of reference and sort of a structural system built in my mind from growing up in Catholicism, but I had basically walked away from that at that point. And I, and I, what I really needed was a new structural system um, where I could understand what the Bible was, what religion was, how we work in the world. And so I'm sure I asked really dumb questions that everybody else who, you know, their dad was a minister and or they'd grown up on the mission field or whatever else would probably look at me like, how could this guy end up here? He has no clue what the rest of us understand inherently. I didn't know what vacation Bible school was. You know, I didn't understand um, some of the basic experiences that most of my my classmates had. And for me, that was perfect is what I needed. Um, you know, you asked Kristen about professors and there's a lot for me too. I'm going to pick one that maybe a lot of people would, wouldn't pick as far as subject matter. And for me, it was Carl Bridges with Greek, you know, because... What I, what I wanted as I 
was trying to understand what is this whole thing? What is the scripture? You know, that sort of mm. thing. Understanding the philosophies and the theologies was one thing, but then getting down to the words in Greek and seeing what was really there. And he had such a wonderful way to just present this is this is what it says. And this is how we understand it. You know, um, that was really foundational for me to kind of understand the underpinnings of the scriptures. I'm not a socialist Christian, but I, you know, made tons and tons of friends at Johnson. Um, one of my, my biggest social experiences was starting to work in the calling room. So that that Catholic mother that I have that wasn't super thrilled about me leaving the Catholic Church then became like best friends with Sherry Conley, who was working in the admissions office at Johnson at that point. <laughs> and because Sherry liked my mom so much, my sophomore year, she offered me a job in the calling room in the admissions department. I realized after three years of working in the calling room that I was not very good at that job. <laughs> only only got the job because Sherry and my mom were had become such good friends because I, to this day, don't love calling people on the phone, you know, or any of that stuff. So by those three years that we spent in the calling room, then that's when Kristen and I really started to cross paths. Um, in, in the long run, we ended up working at two cubicles right next to each other, calling the state of Indiana prospective students for Johnson the easiest sales job in the face of the planet, right? Like we love it. Everybody should love it. It's less expensive than every place else. You've got to bet, you, you better have a really good reason why you're not going to come to Johnson, you know, <laughs> in my opinion at that point. And then building the community within the calling room, having an opportunity to serve Johnson in that way. And then of course, Chris and I just spent more time together um, working side by side and kind of get to see each other in that environment that really helped our relationship to blossom. Hmm. So what was the spiritual experience? How did you grow in that here at Johnson? I don't think I could have articulated this at the time, but there were certain things that made me very angry while I was at Johnson. Um, ways that I would sometimes hear either my classmates or even speakers um, present this version of Christianity that they had accepted that I had not accepted because I had a different path growing up. And I know I challenge those things sometimes. And I, you know, I think for a long time, I just felt like I'm irritating. I'm, I'm frustrated and then I'm frustrated and I'm frustrating to other people because I didn't grow up with the box that a lot of other people grew up with. Now in, in my maturity, I realize that sometimes anger is leading us to deeper truth, right? And mm -hmm. frustration is leading us to greater discovery or what our passion really is. And so um, you know, I've thought before, what would I advise my younger self, you know, in college or shortly thereafter? And I think I would say, embrace that anger. And that's okay. You know, not, not to lash out at people or be mean or be spiteful or anything like that. But the anger is something that God gives us to help us to see something's not quite right here. And how can I help to make this right for myself, for other people, you know, for a broader context? Mm. Yeah, I think that's one thing that uh, I recall specifically as a student is, you know, the restoration movement, right doctrinal interpretation. And then there's, oh, those Catholics who went off the rail and there's those other denominational groups that went off the rail. And, and so I can see how hearing, you know, restoration movement presented in a certain way and people making these assumptions that are very inconsistent with your history would be enraging i mean it's it's just a worldview clash and we don't like it when our worldviews are confronted yeah i think you know we talk about the straw man you know when we talk about okay this is what a calvinist believes this is what a muslim believes this is right. what you know 
And like, I have been the straw man. And by straw man, I mean sort of the caricature of a yes. person that believes those things. Which, by the way, that person never actually exists in the real world. Uh -huh. The straw man or the caricature of a Baptist or of a Muslim or of a Buddhist or of an independent Christian, that person does not exist. Pieces of that of that caricature exist in many different people. Uh, but as a whole, that person never exists. So for me, walking into that academic world and seeing like we're talking about these people like they're real and they're not was helpful for me in journey going forward too, to realize I shouldn't, you know, describe all the world's Catholics with this broad stroke and, and to say, this is how, you know, pick your subject matter. This is how men are, or this is how women are. This is how Christians are. It's just never, never true. Right. And, um, you know, going forward that, that I think it served me well in the hospital to realize every patient that comes in, every coworker that comes in, every bereaved family member, you know, is experiencing something totally unique to them. And to just say, here's a Catholic family that somebody and somebody died, or here's a Burmese uh, Muslim family and somebody died. It gives me some insight into that family. But if I really want to understand them, I have to actually get to know them and hear their story. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Okay. So you all graduated in 2000. Give me quickly your journeys and stops, what you did, where you did it until you ultimately ended up in Fort Wayne and doing what you're doing now. Sure. So the brief timeline, we graduated in 2000 and moved back to Fort Wayne where Patrick's home church uh, gave graciously gave him a soft place to land and um, a paid job to do a year-long internship. Mm. And our goal at that time was to um, begin fundraising to join Jenny Loft and the team that she had in Southern Spain. And um, we we're on that path. Uh, we were also going to be uh, connecting with Kentucky Christian graduates, uh, Rob and Cindy Schof. And so we went over and spent a month over there. As soon as we graduated, we found ourselves pregnant with our first baby, which as Andy and Stephanie Gable found out, you really want to have your first one <laughs> uh, in the United States. And so that was sort of our plan. We uh, did not get to see that uh, plan come to fruition the way that we wanted because we found out we were pregnant um, as soon as, soon after we graduated, and um, at the end of October, uh, Stephen died in utero, and so we were faced with the first uh, real significant uh, death in, in our lives, and certainly our family. And um, that was a journey in and of itself. Uh, later that year, well, the beginning of the next year, we did spend some time in Spain with the Shofs and Jenny, and uh, we were heading that direction. And so that was part of the internship. He was actually called a missions intern. And so he did a lot of preaching. We did just a variety of things, hosted small groups in our home. And um, it was a really a tender place for us when Stephen died for people in that congregation to come alongside of us and um, support us in our grief. At the end of his internship, the following June, so it would have been about June of 2001, the team in Spain changed dramatically and Rob and Cindy moved back to the United States. And so we were left with a, a whole lot more questions than answers. And Patrick began to look for a ministry here in the United States. And he discovered a small Christian church in Seymour, Indiana, that was looking for a youth minister. And so he put in an application and was hired there. And we moved to my hometown. So we were in Seymour about two years. Um, we were able to have our first uh, living son, Daniel, in the, literally the same hospital that I was born in. And um, I'll tell you the surprise that came to my whole family when 
their, you know, one of their oldest daughters went to Bible college, married some guy, they're going to move to Africa or Southern Spain, and then hopefully Africa. And then all of a sudden, two years in, they're, you know, two blocks down the street having their first baby. So, um, delighted my, my parents and family for sure. So we were in Seymour a couple of years when uh, time came that uh, Christ Church at Georgetown and Fort Wayne was also looking for a youth minister. And so uh, we got tapped for that role and moved back to Fort Wayne. So at that point, I was pregnant with baby number two, another son, and we had him and Levi, our third son, here in Fort Wayne at that time. Oh, those years blend together really fast. Um, So let's see, that was in about 2007, 2008, when we were pregnant again with our um, daughter, and it was time to make a change. And we decided Patrick would go back to seminary and get his master's degree. Again, that lifelong learner in him just continued to circle back around and circle back around. And there was a, a season there where it was time to do that. So Patrick, I'll let you pick up with seminary there. Sure. So, you know, not, not a great financial plan. Quit your job while your wife's about to have the fourth baby and go back to seminary and move. Um, but uh, Kristen's grandpa actually was very generous, gave us um, quite a bit of support through a very short season, but an important season. So for 10 months, we lived in Northern Kentucky and I finished uh, my degree at Cincinnati Bible Seminary. Loved it. Again, Greek was really important to me. And then the Sunday in the Gospel of John um, really was a pivot point for me in my ministry. Um, and then we sense uh, Dr. Uh, David Roadcup was um, one of my professors there and was talking about church planting and how people are coming to Christ with church planting. So um, I came home with uh, what I really realized now was a crazy idea, like, hey, let's move back to Fort Wayne and start a church. And, and Kristen's response was, how about I finish having this baby real quick um, before <laughs> we do we do that? And I was like, well, that's fair. Um, you know, we should probably do that. And so when Kelsey was four months old, we moved back to Fort Wayne, which was not, we never thought we would come back to Fort Wayne after we left, for sure. Um, so that was a, a dynamic change in direction there. So we started church from scratch. Um, it was really hard. It was really awesome. It was not lights and sound and, and fog machines, um, like, you know, sometimes you experience with a, a new church that's got sort of this set picture of what it looks like. We met in a school, and then we met in a Y. That church went for about seven years. Uh, we purposefully made the choice to not describe that as a Christian church, Church of Christ. We actually feel like in the spirit of the Restoration Movement, that uh, a line we know with a certain certain group was not necessarily meaningful. Um, and so we we didn't do that at that point in time. We just had a, just a local independent church. The people were amazing. It was a very freeing experience. I got to preach every week, which is what I knew I wanted to do from the time I was probably five years old, even though I didn't have the faith yet, you know, to, to add to that component. And it was great. And during that time, though, I, I don't know if the listeners realize this, but church planting doesn't pay very well. So that might come as news uh, for a lot of people. So if you're thinking of church planting, just be aware it's not super lucrative. And so I look for part-time work to supplement my income and go bi-vocationally. And what popped up, very one of the very first things, did a little bit of substitute teaching and working for my professor back at Cincinnati and that sort of thing. But the first thing that really stuck was being a, a chaplain at our local hospital. And I, I have to admit, I really had no idea what I was getting into, really didn't know what healthcare chaplaincy was, and you had to be there for people in the worst moments. I figured that was probably what it was about. And I was basically right, but there's a lot more a lot more to it than that. So yeah, now, going back nine years ago, 
I'm sorry, as a part-time chaplain, um, we eventually, Chris and I made the decision to, to stop doing the church, but did the, the hospital and the church together for I don't know, about four years. And then went and closed the church down with the, the work together of other leaders that had been a part of it for a long time. Um, because I'd been full-time at that point, um, went from a part-time on-call chaplain to four months in, uh, the director at the time, Ann Lance, sat me down. She said, um, let's talk about your future here. I thought I was getting fired. Um, <laughs> I said, well, if we're going to talk about me getting fired, I'm busy. But, you know, if we're going to talk <laughs> if we're gonna talk about more than that, then, then I've got all the time in the world. She said, I want you to become the supervisor in the department. And I was blown away because I really still was trying to figure out where the medical ICU was located at that point. So about a year later, I became a supervisor under Anne's leadership. And then she let me know, hey, I'm, I'm probably not going to, she'd been, been there for 20 years doing that United Methodist pastor. And she said, hey, I'm, I'm looking elsewhere. When I step aside, I want you to become the director over volunteers and chaplaincy and advanced care planning and ethics and spiritual development for this large health system of 14,000 coworkers and, and, you know, lots of different people in the department. And so for the past seven years, that's what I've been doing there. And Kristen's joined me in a lot of that um, bereavement work and being there for families and using a lot of the skills we uh, developed in church really to, to serve our patients at the hospital. Hmm. So how much did your personal experience at the loss of a child influence your direction in bereavement counseling? It is the thing that changed us. Uh, lots of people talk about with significant death, um, loss, grief, the before and after, you know, before uh, that moment when we heard there is no heartbeat, we were different people. Mm-hmm. And so it absolutely directs everything. You know, when we were in youth ministry, we used to tell the kids, if you've not experienced significant loss or grief, just keep breathing because it is going to happen. Um, it is going to happen to you. And, and it's the price of love is what a lot of people say. So, mm-hmm. you know, Stephen uh, was with us for such a short time, but the impact that he made for us personally was life changing. And, you know, we have gone on now. Of course, it changed how we were as parents. And at that point, we had no living children and didn't know if we could. It took us a long time to get pregnant with Daniel. Um, And so, you know, we, it was a journey. I look back on that time, even though it's such a small slice of our story. And I would say it was our worst moments. I mean, that face to face with grief and death, it changes you. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, we've been on that journey now. It'll be 22 years in October. So, We've met a lot of people um, along that road, and I am grateful for the opportunity to help lead support groups. That's one of my roles at the hospital, Um, and the other is to help coordinate volunteers that go into the hospital when a baby dies. Um, They are all lost parents themselves, Mm. and every story is different, um, but they are specially trained, and they step into the room and help make memories and resource and support emotionally and relationally and practically the families in their darkest moments. And um, people stepped into that space with us. And so, um, yeah, it guides, it guides so much of what we do. Wouldn't have ever seen it 10, 15, 20 years ago manifesting itself in this way. You know, in the context of the church, um, it, was, it was just such a natural flow and fit and all those types of things. But in the context of a large health system, it's really just a beautiful fruit from um, our personal experience. So, 
Well, Patrick and Kristen, this has been wonderful. I've really appreciated being able to go down this road with you, learn about your journeys, and uh, I appreciate you you know, giving, giving me and the listeners some perspective about how God works in ways we can't see to bring about his glory. So it's really great that, you know, you've shared that with us. I appreciate that. But I cannot let you go without asking you two more questions that I've been asking of all of our podcast guests. So the first question is this, considering everything that you've experienced in life and ministry and so on, what is one thing that you have learned that you would really wish to impress upon others? You know, maybe that's a new college graduate or, you know, others that you graduated with. What would just, what's something that you've learned that you'd like to pass on? Oh, that's thought provoking. Patrick, we'll let you hit that one first. <laughs> yeah, speaker Patrick, let's go. Um, you know, one of the things that this, this is a, a distilling of lessons I learned actually from John Weatherly, Dr. Weatherly, when he was, at Cincinnati before he came to Johnson, before he <laughs> moved on to the ministry that he, he has now. Um, at the end of his Acts class, when I was doing my master's, I came up to him at the end and I asked him this question. I said, so what are, what you're trying to tell us is that the book of Acts describing the church in the first century isn't meant to be an exact model for how we do church in the 21st century and beyond, but it's supposed to be a launch pad for us to move forward and that things are progressing and, and changing and that this is that the book of Acts is a beginning, you know, not a, not a point of destination that we've got growing and expanding to do not only individually, but as a church, you know, as a capital C church and how do we continue to learn and grow and become something that the previous generations weren't able to become. And he looked at me kind of like, like I finally understood the joke that he'd been trying to tell all semester long, you know, like the light bulb would finally come on. And, and he said in a very sarcastic way, that's what I've been saying since the day you walked into class. <laughs> so, um, I, I, it took me, honestly, not only that whole class, but the first 12, 15 years out of college and in ministry to really grasp that, you know, when Jesus says you, you will do even greater things than I have done that he's not being tongue in cheek, you know, obviously we're not going to atone for the sin of the world and provide salvation, but that there's going to be the spirit is, is unleashed now and um, that we're to grow for that. And our minds ought to be expanding and that our, our faith is always not just growing or shrinking, but it's either expanding or contracting, you know, and and that expansion of the gospel and the spirit of Christ connects with everything and everyone, um, even even people who aren't from a tradition like ours or, you know, from inside of the boundaries that we're used to, to being inside of, um, you know, I think that would, if I were to be able to go back and share that with myself or with a new college grad, just be prepared for your world to, to expand because the more you try to get it to contract, uh, the more frustrated you're going to become and the more you're going to find yourself as Gamaliel said, you're kicking against the goats. Like it, it, this is, this is something that's expanding here. And so embrace that. Mm, good. I like that. Kristen, how are you going to follow that up? <laughs> well, in, in my unique perspective as a mother, um, I think I would tell um, my younger, my younger self and even young college students, which, Ironically, since we've got two in college now, we had literally 16 to 20 college age students in our home last night till well after midnight, Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) which is a really great and fun season. They are 
gosh, they're just, they're, they're like sponges. They're learning and their world is expanding and their, the horizon is long and bright for them. And so what I often share with them is to stay in the moment. There are many moments in our past that we might regret or that we might um, want to change and we cannot do so, but we can take that and use that as we are present and move forward into our futures. And, you know, that's really been something that um, as young people, uh, we had a, you know, such a significant loss of, of our unborn son. And that is something that I have taken with me um, and carried with me into the future. And, um, you know, I think anybody can do that with any, you know, don't look down on those young people and, and don't allow yourself to become complacent because you have a voice here and you have avenues and ways to, as Patrick talked about, expand your world and expand your experiences and expand your faith. And, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful journey. I certainly cannot say enough and will not ever be able to say enough about um, the role that Johnson University has played in that for me personally and our marriage and family and ministry and um, the kingdom work at large. I'm incredibly proud alumni. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Well, thank you very much for those answers. Now, one more question I got to ask you before I let you go, and I'm going to give you a moment to think about it while I do a commercial. Imagine, if you will, that for the next 60 seconds, the entire world is going to listen to the podcast. Now, we know that's a pipe dream. That's not going to happen. But let's just play pretend. You have 60 seconds to address the world. What are you going to say to the world in the 60 seconds that you have? While you think about your answer, let me remind our listeners that the Sojourner Podcast has been brought to you by the Alumni Association of Johnson University. Whether you graduated from Central Florida Bible College, Johnson Bible College, Florida Christian College, or Johnson University, you are a part of the alumni family. Join the Alumni Association and help encourage and equip alumni and students as they pursue kingdom-focused vocations. Learn more at johnsonu.edu forward slash alumni. So Patrick and Kristen Hinkle Ricky, class of 2000 graduates from Johnson University in Knoxville, Tennessee, both Indiana folks who have gone through quite a journey from being raised in Catholic families to finding the Restoration Movement and Johnson University and on into church planning and church ministry and missions ministry and now doing some really neat work at Park West in the hospitals there in Fort Wayne. So what one-minute message would you give to the world? I would say to the world, if, if it's all in uh, 60 seconds, is that um, most human beings wonder the why. And I've been fortunate enough to figure that out at a young age, the why and the purpose that I have in this world. And, you know, I would hearken back to one of my favorite scriptures, uh, what does the Lord require of you? What does God want? What it's a scary world and it's becoming more scary all the time. And, and so the question that many of us have is what, what does God really want? Well, he wants us to act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with him. And that's, it's very much more complicated than we ever thought and um, much more simple than um, I think that we have ever thought as well. And so that's certainly my heart is to um, do those things. And he is near and he is pursuing us. He's a loving father, even if you didn't have one. And he's the 
constant companion, even if you've not had your person. And uh, he's constantly pursuing you because he loves you more than anything. Excellent. Patrick? Person will recognize these words. I, I've often joked, and I think I'm now serious, that on my headstone, I want this phrase printed that the world is a much more complicated place than I originally thought. Hmm. Um, and I think that's a message of compassion, a message of listening. You know, our, our former director, Chaplain State Parkview, used to say if you stood in the emergency department of our hospital for long enough, you'd see the whole world pass by. And I think that's. That's the hospital is a place of pain, right? You don't usually go to the hospital for fun. You go to the hospital for pain and, and often for the end of a person's life. Um, as you watch all those different people come through with all their different experiences, we describe it like squeezing a tube of toothpaste, that trauma that they're going through or pain or loss that they're going through is squeezing uh, that family, that individual. And what's in their hearts, what's in their experience, what's in their minds, their souls is, is coming out for us to, to see. And what we expect is often not what we get. Um, it's not what we see. And so that has taught me to listen for a little longer, to ask those probing questions, to wake up every day, be willing to say, I might be wrong about this. Um, and it's an opportunity for me to open my mind, to go back to that beginner's mind that Johnson really taught me. Um, to to say, how do I understand? How can I seek to understand here? And as we do, I think not only do we grow in compassion for people around us, we grow in compassion actually in a weird way for Jesus, because Jesus is the one who sees every ounce of hurting, who sees every time a person dies, who sees every tear that's shed, who captures all of those tears. And then we can actually have this opportunity to turn and look at him and say, wow, that's rough. <laughs> that's really difficult of what you're experiencing. And then to, to have more of a love relationship with God, because we, we can start to, as we listen and understand, start to see you know, just the amount of pain that he's, he's caring for constantly. Wow. Good. Good words from both of you. I, I really appreciate you doing that exercise with me. Thank you so much, Patrick and Kristen. It's been wonderful catching up with you and hearing about your journey. Thank you so much for being my guest today on the Sojourner Podcast. So good to be with you, Tyson. Thanks. The Sojournal Podcast is a production of the Alumni Relations Office at Johnson University. Edited by Sam Cunningham. Podcast graphics by Rachel Woolard. Music by Loyal Love. Tune in to other Sojournal Podcasts dropping each Monday on Anchor FM, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Thanks for listening.